Hello and welcome to the next episode of Tilney Investment Podcast. I am Alina Lofgren, Investment Director from Tilney's Glasgow office, and I'm talking with Ben Seeger-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds. Today, we're going to cover a few different topics. Uh, we're going to start off by talking about markets in general and specifically what's been happening during the last month. Then we'll run through some highlights of the very recently announced uh, government spending plan and what exactly investors should make of this. And then we'll also touch on a couple of topics like inflation and fears of a second wave of COVID-19. And then towards the very end, we'll run through how all of that relates to how our current um, investment proposition comes together. We are recording the podcast from our homes today on Wednesday, the 1st of July. And before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So, Ben, it's been a volatile year so far, but what's been happening in markets over the past month? Um, well, the last month has really seen a continuation of the rally. In fact, it's an extended rally that really started from market nadir in March. So we saw another positive month for risk assets. What I would say, though, particularly in the last couple of weeks, we've really seen that rally grind to something uh, of a halt. And I think it's quite interesting as we stand now, we can talk about June, but we can also look at the last quarter and also the whole first half of the year. So in terms of June, as I said, positive month, global equities were up 3.3%. Um, it's actually a very good month for emerging markets. The main index there up 7.5%. Commodities were up a couple of percent. Global corporate bonds also up a couple of percent. And as perhaps you'd expect in a, in a bit of a risk on month, the main asset class that lagged a little bit were UK government bonds and they're the, the main index down, but only just over half a percent. So that's that's June. I think what's more interesting, taken in the broader context, now we've completed the second quarter. Actually, the second quarter has been one of the best quarter in decades. And we saw the very poor first quarter, the very sharp falls, uh, followed by a surprisingly rapid bounce. And actually, in the second quarter, pretty much all major asset classes were up and quite significantly. Global equities are actually up 20% on the quarter, and that was led by the US, but other asset classes have done well as well. Commodities up five and a half, corporate bonds up 8.9, uh, gilts up just over two and a half. So we've seen a very strong bounce in uh, in the second quarter. Year to date, though, what that ultimately means, most asset classes have bounced back very strongly. Um, in many places, still not quite back to where we started the year, because obviously the, the, the first quarter was particularly tough. Um, but actually, we've seen a, a pretty strong bounce. So for the first half of the year, actually, global equities are just about in positive territory. They're up 0.8% overall. 
that perhaps masks some of the bits we've talked about before, where rather than being broad based, actually that's dominated by the US mega cap technology companies. And because they are such a large part of such a large index, they have dragged the rest of the index up. But it's still positive to see that that broad index doing well. Um, against that, the UK has been a bit of a laggard that's still down just over 17% year to date. Again, some of the, the market composition elements coming in there. Um, commodities have also been um, pretty pretty weak. We've seen the oil price bounce, but it's still well below uh, where it started the year. Uh, and the, the, the main asset classes that have done well so far this year have been in fixed income. So corporate bonds in particular are up 10% on the year gilts up 9.6%. So that's really been the story of the first half, a very sharp fall, followed by a very significant bounce in in the second quarter. That's really interesting. It it does feel a little bit like a two-track recovery, so that supports that, I would say. But this week, the the UK government announced a a £5 billion spending plan, and very recently, in fact. Um, what should investors make of this? Do the details in the plan live up to the, the headline? Um, I, I think it's encouraging to see the government starting to talk about this fiscal stimulus. We'll get a lot more details from the Chancellor, and that's going to happen next week. But what we do know is it's going to be about infrastructure spending, its fiscal stimulus focused on roads, hospitals, schools and, and the like. Now, I think there has been a little bit of consternation that this isn't really fresh spending. A lot of it was already announced back in December as part of the Conservatives' um, campaign manifesto pledges. Uh, And the scale is perhaps a little bit more limited than people were thinking. But it is nonetheless really important for a couple of reasons. Not least, it marks an important shift in terms of the economy and the outlook. And this is something we've been waiting for for a while. We've talked a lot about fiscal and monetary measures um, in the first half of the year to try and support the economy during the the COVID-19 crisis. But what's really important to highlight, all that fiscal policy has really been doing then uh, has been substituting and supporting the economy. Effectively, the furlough scheme, the business continuity loans, these are really just substituting for a private economy that was shut down. And really, in terms of fundamental improvement, what we need to see is that shift from fiscal substitution to actual stimulus, stimulus to try and promote the recovery uh, in the second half of the year. Um, And we've seen some of that now from the UK government. We'll get a few more details next week. But I think this is going to be representative of what governments around the world increasingly are going to do. And therefore, it represents a very important uh, sort of phase shift from just supporting and keeping the economy ticking over at a very, very low level to supporting real economic growth. And that's going to be really important. What we are going to have to do, though, and it's been an an element of, of our investment thinking for a few months now, and it is something we've talked about before, there are still a lot of risks out there, not least as these furlough schemes start to come off. We could see a rise in unemployment. A lot of companies already are, are looking at strategic shifts and potentially cutting back their workforce, given how long uh, it will take some industries, particularly some of the travel industries, to recover. And also whether or not we see a more fundamental shift in the post-COVID-19 world. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these potential economic shifts and changes in employment are offset to some extent by by the fiscal stimulus. But I think it is an important uh, transition change that we're starting to see now. 
Yeah, and in many ways, I suppose when we see the furlough scheme um, sort of expire, we'll see the whether or not all sectors will recover at the same rate, or whether or not it will be a bit more of a two-track recovery. So, um, I know that it's been very recently announced. I think we should probably move on to another topic, another couple of topics. Um, we we have been talking a lot about inflation recently internally at Sony. So. Can you summarize the thinking around this? Because it seems to me there are several important themes within that theme, including deglobalization and global central bank action in general, like you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think as as with all these discussions we have, nothing really exists in isolation. It's all part of a, a broad continuum. All the cycles feed into each other. So I think it is probably probably good to feed in. Um, I, I think our, our view on inflation is slightly nuanced. And the important thing to remember, and this is what we we, we do keep banging on about, um, you know, markets are forward looking. It is about expectations. And it's important to highlight that because we do think that inflation risks are to the upside. And a lot of people listening to this will say, you know, are you mad? We're just coming through one of the deepest recessions for, for hundreds of years. How can you be worrying about inflation? And I think that's entirely right in the short term disinflationary pressures are likely to, to persist. We've had the collapse in, uh, in commodity prices, particularly oil. We've just gone through a recession and the post-lockdown period is likely to be much more economically constrained. Consumer confidence is still weak. Unemployment could rise. And a lot of people are going to be looking to, to bolster their personal balance sheets, either because they've had to run it down because of unemployment or potentially through concerns as to how things uh, how things progress from here. That said, when we talk about markets, particularly a lot of the longer term assets we look at, it's more important to look at expectations, particularly on a sort of 10 year time frame. And after a short period of disinflationary pressures, we do think that inflationary pressures are building. You touched on some of them there. If you have central banks looking to suppress interest rates on the medium term, that can be quite inflationary. Obviously, central banks have had most of the post-global financial crisis period, particularly the last few years, struggling to hit their inflation targets. And a lot of those central banks have, have suggested uh, a period of, of sort of catch-up inflation wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. They use this coded language. They talk about the, the inflation target being symmetrical. And that's really code for, you know, just as they've tolerated a period of below target inflation, maybe an equivalent period of above av- above target inflation averages out. So I think that's some code in there. We've also heard, particularly, you know, just talking about fiscal stimulus in the UK, um, the the government has said, or the, the prime minister highlighted his instincts are not to uh, to cut taxes rather than hike them, um, uh, and potentially that might involve borrowing a little bit more. Certainly not going back to austerity either. And if you have this increasing debt load, you can reduce the real value of that by allowing inflation to run not out of control, dangerously high, which would be uh, economically catastrophic, but just slightly higher than otherwise would be the case, allowing the real value of that debt uh, to run down. So there are incentives there, both from a fiscal point of view and also in terms of, of monetary policy, where we might see central banks just keeping rates lower than they otherwise would do both sort of uh, quite technical reasons that you might expect inflation to pick up. But there are sort of more uh, factors more relating to the real economy. As you said, if we switch from this environment, we're very used to an environment where we look to have as efficient earnings as possible. We have very fragile supply chains. 
you know, these, these supply chains extending all over the world where labor and production is relatively cheap. We're used to having cheaper products on our shelves. I think in the post-COVID world, if we move from that efficiency towards more resilient supply chains, that could uh, allow inflation to pick up a little bit. What we've also seen, one of the first things that happens in a crisis or a recession, companies cut back on their capital expenditure plans. It's pretty much the first Mm -hmm. thing to go. Plans to extend factories, uh, launch new business lines, get put on hold. That's sensible in the short term, but you need to invest in in capital to expand your capacity. And if businesses aren't investing, you could see a future where there's not as much supply if demand comes back online. If you have that capacity constraints, then that's another potential route through which inflation can start to come through. Um, uh, And finally, simply just having a lot more money pumped into the system. So if you have a lot of monetary stimulus, a lot of fiscal stimulus, that's a classic example of uh, of a cause of inflation. Um, so overall, I don't think it's a definite. I think it's it's easy to get drawn into these binaries. I wouldn't say our base case is that inflation is definitely going to be higher, much higher than, than it otherwise would be. But I think the risks are certainly to the upside. And that's something that we need to think about in terms of our investment strategy. And again, it's not we're not talking about the next 12 months or the next 18 months, but certainly on a couple of years uh, further out. That's when we think inflation is going to start to come through. And those expectations could well manifest uh, a little bit short in a shorter term as well, because it's about expectations rather than manifestations. Yeah, no, I appreciate that point because it is, like you say, it's really hard to know what's going to happen, especially since we're so comfortable in the position, knowing that this is deflation is the issue at the moment. So we kind of have to try and predict what happens next. But it is true that for investors, that would be a, a concern uh, of a very different type than any of these deflationary crises that we've seen lately. So I think it is an important topic. So thanks for that. Thank you for that. Um, but Onto something that's a little bit more short term, I suppose. Um, are you worried about the second COVID-19 wave that we're starting to see warning signs of, especially perhaps across the Atlantic? Uh, uh, yes, I, I would say a little concerned. I don't mean to downplay it significantly, but, but you know, the, the point I would highlight, this is something that we've been watching out for. And I think as we've seen this recovery progress, and as I think we've probably hopefully highlighted on previous podcasts, there are lots of near-term risks, partly around wobbles. You could have failures of drug trials. You could have a world recognising that the economic challenges post uh, post lockdown. And one of the elements we, we've warned about is further outbreaks, either fresh outbreaks in new regions or the risk of second waves. So it's something we'd be cognizant of for some time. And the fact where it's coming through now isn't a surprise, but it is nonetheless a concern. And the latest hotspots, of course, are in the US. A lot of the Sunbelt states uh, are starting to see an acceleration of infections. And bear in mind, the US didn't lock down as comprehensively as other parts of the world, and they're already starting to reopen. Of particular concern is Texas. Texas um, has been reopening for for a while now. Um, And actually, since the end of May uh, through to the end of June, 
the the number of hospitalizations in Texas has tripled. Uh, and in Houston, which is the, the US's fourth most popular city, we've seen um, that the, they hit ICU capacity uh, at some point last week. Mm-hmm. So there are some concerns there. A lot of other states as well are, are having some problems. And there we've seen some of the economic reopening be halted. Texas, Florida, and I think now Arizona uh, have closed their bars. Uh, other states are, are imposing internal quarantines. So the, the likes of New York, New Jersey and Connecticut have all said, if you come from one of these states with a, a higher rate of infection, you'll be quarantined for a couple of weeks. So it's clearly a point of concern. But we're also seeing it in other parts of the world. Uh, in Germany, around one of Europe's largest slaughterhouses, uh, some local restrictions have been Uh, imposed there. Parts of Melbourne in in Australia have been locked down. And of course, in the UK, we've had the first localised lockdown in in Leicester. Um, So it's something that we've been that we've had on our radar and we've been keeping an eye on. So it's not surprising, but it is a concern. What I would say against that, though, and the reason that we're not heading for the hills, um, not only are there sort of fiscal and monetary policy measures from a market point of view, influences our investment strategy just looking at the development of the virus compared to where we were three or four months ago we know a lot more about the virus we know how to treat it in a much more effective way we know a little bit what does work and what doesn't work we also have a lot better testing and uh, testing capability Um, so governments and authorities are in a much better position to deal with fresh outbreaks and it, it it sounds weird but it's almost encouraging see these outbreaks pop up and see authorities react quickly, enact these localised lockdowns that is a much more efficient and effective way to deal with with these fresh outbreaks. And it seems at the moment, as long as authorities continue in in this regard, we're keeping an active surveillance programme in place when they see new outbreaks acting quickly uh, in a very targeted localised fashion just to control the outbreaks, that should hopefully avoid the need for any more large-scale nationwide lockdowns that are economically extremely damaging. So it is a concern. It's something that we're keeping an eye on. It's a risk we've been warning about for a while. But rather than worrying outright about a, a, a full-blown second wave, I think it's much more relevant to monitor the, the authorities' localised response and how effectively they can be targeted in these regions. And so far, the, the outlook is is promising. As you say, perhaps the bigger area of concern is the US, where historically their response has been uh, not as effective as we've seen in other parts of the world. Yeah, and you couple that with the fact that their market seems to have sort of run ahead of ours, um, the, the, the fallout of the, like you say, the Sunbelt Belt. States. That will be quite interesting to see what that will do to the to the various indices. Um, so I think I mean I think I think that sounds a little reassuring actually to think that there can be a second wave without it being a, a reason to run for the hills, like you say. So that that's quite reassuring. Thank you. But taking everything that we talked about here today into consideration, how does all of that translate into our investment proposition? Well, I. Uh- the, the, the details of the strategy will, will naturally vary by mandate, um, but there will be a few common themes. And certainly in terms of the central programs uh, that, that, that I run, we, we've held our equity weights throughout the crisis. Many, hopefully many listeners will recall in March when we were um, 
talking about the the potential dangers of selling out um, at, at the bottom and missing out on potential rallies, and that's obviously come through. But we have held on to our equity weights, even as some concerns have grown. And that's because I think the outlook is is in a fairly delicate balance. The fundamentals are a little bit more questionable. That The rally that we've had, fundamentals looked basically a little cheap, and we saw an increase through to the end of next year. The speed and scale of the recovery has been surprising. The fundamental outlook is, is more finely balanced. But that said, there are risks on a relative basis of being out of the market. And even if the fundamental outlook is a bit more mixed, I think when you have central banks that have signaled they're very willing and able to in- inject fresh monetary stimulus, if we see any wobbles, we've seen a lot of that over the last couple of months, and that tends to come with a very sharp market response. We're also expecting to see further fiscal stimulus measures from governments, which could be expected to, to be a boost for markets. And if you look globally where investors are positioned, um, quite a lot of investors and a lot of professional investors, a lot of hedge funds, for example, have a lot of cash on the sidelines. A lot of people moved uh, into cash, uh, and many of them are probably regretting that now, uh, in March and April. And that money is waiting to come back in. So if you do see any periods of short-term pullbacks, that could be viewed as, as entry opportunities for others. So I think the outlook is 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 fairly delicate, but I think there are key risks in terms of uh, relative risk in terms of the market of getting out when you've got all of these uh, stimulus measures on the sidelines ready to come in. And of course, the timing of any pullback is uh, is nigh on impossible. So it's best to look through that uh, and take a fairly balanced view. The approach we do take, though, we tend to invest in companies or we invest through managers uh, that invest in turn in companies that are high quality. So we look for companies that have solid cash flows, robust balance sheets, those companies that aren't entirely reliant on a sharp economic recovery to survive and thrive. We want those companies that are able to continue to get cash flows and profits and grow those even in a a more challenged economic environment. We think those companies will potentially protect a little on the downside if we do see shocks, but also add steady value through time. I think those are much more attractive investment offerings for us at the moment and indeed into the longer term. But against that, what we have been doing is adding uh, a few other elements, partly reflecting that longer term inflation uh, inflation upside view. We added gold earlier this year, and we've talked about it a few times on the podcast. We've also started to, to increase our, or implement exposures to index-linked bonds. I think index-linked bonds, particularly if you have uh, yield curve control, that is, if you have central banks looking to keep interest rates low, if inflation picks up, historically, central banks have raised have raised rates. If we're in an environment where the central banks are going to keep those at the same rate, if you have interest rates staying steady and inflation increasing, technically that means yield yields are falling, and that does well for these for these sort of bond exposures. So both gold and index-linked bonds, we would expect to fare well if our higher inflation expectations come through. They also have the added benefit that in the short term, they're good assets for any shock absorption and just help smooth the ride if we do have those short-term pullbacks. So uh, that's our investment strategy, taking a a long-term positive view on risk assets, adding a little bit more uh, inflation considerations to the mix and just trying to smooth that ride for what we think is probably going to be a pretty eventful time ahead. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it does say something about our clients' um, time horizons and the importance of, uh, of knowing what your time horizon is and that we're, we're generally positive, but that it does really matter if you have a shorter time horizon to, to consider that. So, well, thanks, Ben, for all of that, for all your comments and thoughts. That was really interesting. Um, we're going to be back again soon with a new episode. Uh, and in the meantime, if you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. And thank you for listening.